I'm here today with Catherine Meeks. Catherine is executive director of the Absalom Jones Center for Racial Healing. She's the retired Clara Carter Acree Distinguished Professor of Sociocultural Studies from Wesleyan College and founding executive director of the Lane Center for Community Engagement and Service. She's frequently asked to present commentaries on Georgia Public Radio and other radio and television programs. She's the author of six books and one inspirational CD and is the editor of Living into God's Dream, Dismantling Racism in America and co-author of Passionate for Justice, Ida B. Wells as Prophet for Our Times. She's the winner of the President Joseph R. Biden Lifetime Achievement Award and holds a master's degree in social work from Clark Atlanta University and PhD from Emory University. We're also very blessed to have Catherine contribute to our book, How to Heal Our Divides, A Practical Guide. Catherine's new book is titled, The Night is Long, But Light Comes in the Morning, Meditations for Racial Healing. You can learn more about all of Catherine's work at centerforracialhealing.org. So Catherine, it's so wonderful for you to join us again, and congratulations on all the amazing things that you've done. Well, thank you very much. I'm very delighted to be here and so appreciative of the work you do, particularly with calling us to uh, think deeply about divisiveness and and unity. And so I, th- I think those are two ideas that have just that are so important. So I appreciate that work as well. Well, thank you. I mean, any opportunity I get to collaborate with you on any front is a blessing for me. So, <laughs> thanks. But any event, maybe would you mind telling people a little bit more about yourself than what I kind of briefly touched on? Well, well, yeah, I, I, I could say a little bit. Of, I am a retired professor. I taught um, college for thirty-four years and decided in two thousand and eight when I left from teaching college that I was going to become a, a craftswoman and make aromatherapy products and cards and and give my brain a break. <laughs> well, that lasted for a little while. And then it became clear that I needed to get back into the work of racial healing and, uh, and dismantling racism. So I became the, um, the leader, the chair of the Commission for Dismantling Racism for the Diocese of Atlanta. And then that has that morphed into the Center for Racial Healing that has become a, a resource for the entire Episcopal Church and other people outside of the Episcopal Communion who have discovered what we're doing and, and find it interesting in terms of their own work. So I'm very, very grateful for all of that. When I was preaching at the Washington National Cathedral back in May, I started my sermon by saying it was a long journey from my sharecropping father's house to the pulpit at the Washington National Cathedral. Mm -hmm. And I guess I would want to say that again, that that is the long journey that I have been on of, of seeking the path to liberation and then trying to find a way to share that 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 path and the meaning on that path to other people so it can be helpful to them in their journey toward liberation. Well, I think everybody, everybody needs to be liberated and everybody needs to find their own path. And and I just but I think we can help each other by sharing what we're learning. Absolutely. And you've done an amazing 
job along that, that journey. So, you know, a great role model for us all. <laughs> Thank you. Um, maybe can you tell us a little bit more about what the Center for, you know, Racial Healing does today? What kinds of programs do you have? What mm-hmm. kind of activities, things like that? Well, we, the, the big thing that we do is 25 classes a year on dismantling racism that are online now since COVID. We, they were in person and we would have people coming from out of town to be in those classes. And since we've been doing them online, we've had people from around the country in, in those classes all the time. It's a day long workshop that kind of, um, to get people going when when they're waking up a little bit or maybe not waking up at all. In our diocese, these classes are mandated for leaders. So whether you want to take it or not, you have to. But other people come because they really want to. And a lot of the folks that are becoming priests or deacons or whatever who have to take it don't mind taking it either. But sometimes we do find people who really resent having to do it. But nonetheless, that's the center offers those classes. We, in addition to that, offer a large array of programming around health inequities, environmental justice, immigration, and mass incarceration, as well as uh, as well as the uh, basic uh, dismantling racism class. And all, and and we do a, a have someone who's doing a spiritual formation class that is designed to help people be engaged in a kind of contemplative way around racial healing for the rest of their life by choosing a discipline and and having a a daily practice that that is geared in that direction. So those are just a handful of the things that that programs. And then we have, uh, we do a lot of webinars and, and, um, of course, we've done a lot of webinars, yes, and we still yes. are. We're still doing some. We have our website has a a YouTube channel attached to it that has all of our programs, so people can go there and listen to whatever they might like to hear. I do a podcast and a blog uh, called Brave Space, and uh, so people, and that's all on our website as well. And then one of the things that you'll find at our website that you won't find it in other places dealing with race is the, the virtual library that focuses on Latinx people, Asian uh, and Pacific Islanders, uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, uh, uh, African Americans and indigenous people. And we've tried to put materials in each of those categories so that people can come to our website and look up something on indigenous people or African-American people. And it'll be, it's all there in a concise concrete place where they can find it. We, we wanted, we did that uh, for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is we want to make sure that we do a better job of teaching about all of the, the major oppressed groups in this country, because it's easy to fall into the trap of, talking about one group over another group and and setting up a kind of oppression hierarchy that we want to be careful not to do. So, so the center is, and we're located across the street from a college, a consortium of, of historically black colleges, the Atlanta university complex. And so we work with students a good bit. 
uh, we are also in a in a black community that is very mixed in terms of part of it's thriving and part of it's not thriving. Oh. So that's that's also an equal challenge to me because I don't believe you ought to be in a community going out across the world doing things and the community around you has no impact from your presence. I think oh. the community around you should have some should be impacted by your presence. So we're looking there every day into how to be more engaged with the with the local community that we're in. Oh, wow. What a scope of things mm-hmm. that, you know, the center is involved in. That's really just quite impressive. Yeah. So uh, before we get into the new book, you want to touch on mm-hmm. any of the previous ones that you uh, particularly mm-hmm. want to highlight? Well, I, you know, I don't know where folks are with their uh, in their journeys or with their readings, but Living into God's Dream was the book. The the uh, looking at the dismantling racism in America is a collection of essays that includes Bishop Rob Wright and some several other writers. And that if anybody would be interested in hearing different voices, that would in in one book that would be a, a really good book to to read. But also Passionate for Justice, and of course uh, Ida B. Wells is just my heroine, and I can't say ever say enough about her. I always want people to read about Ida B. And I wrote the book with a white man who's a retired Presbyterian preacher. So, and we have a pretty good dialogue back and forth across our differences on purpose to help to help mirror the the fact that black and white and brown and white and brown and black people can talk to each other about things that they don't agree about and still be connected to one another and still be civil and be willing to even be friends. And as my co-author and I are, and we don't agree about uh, several things, and we talk that out in the book a little bit. And I think that we did it on purpose so that people could see us doing that. Mm -hmm. And I would highlight that for people because I think that's a, that's a great need right now, particularly in the kind of climate we've created in our country where it's almost as if you don't agree, you should sit in a corner and put a, a towel over your head instead of you could be an adult in the room with other adults and you don't have to agree with everybody. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never met a single person that I agree with 100% on everything. Well, I mean, why should you? They're you know, not I mean, you. It's not you know? natural, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it doesn't even matter, you know. It just at the end of the at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. That person goes their way, you go your way, and they live their life, and you live your life. And whether you agree about everything or not, it was not even a relevant issue. And sometimes it becomes the only issue, uh-huh. and that's very unfortunate. So um, the new book, as I mentioned, the title is. The night is long, but light comes in the morning. Meditations for racial mm-hmm. healing. So, how did that book come about? So last year, it seems like way longer than last year now. <laughs> but last year, um, the church publishing, who had published my other two books, asked me to write something for young people about race, and I said, "I'm not. I don't like. I I, I can talk to young people." but I don't want to 
try writing for young people right now at this point in my life. Uh, maybe I've, I've never written for like say um, people 18 to, to 20 so, or maybe 15 to 15 to 20. I've not tried to capture that audience. I mean, they may, some of those young people, if they're high school age, might enjoy reading the books I've written, but those books were not written thinking about, you know, that age group particularly. Uh-huh. And so, but I, I, but I alternatively offered the notion that I would be glad to write a book of meditations that dealt with race, racial healing. And they said, well, great, we would love to publish that. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and, it, and I said, when? And they said, by now. And this is <laughs> like, uh, oh my gosh, when was this? At the end of last year. So it was going to be a really quick turnaround. So I said, okay, let me, let me, let me see if I can do that. And I had had this uh, hip joint replacement. And then I, and the deadline was going to, when I got the contract, the deadline said it was May 15th. And so my second surgery was April the 4th. So I ended up writing part of this book when I still had staples in my uh, oh hip joints from surgery. So it's, it's, <laughs> and then I had to go back and say, let me go back and read what I wrote and see if it's even literate. <laughs> You know, so, and it was, I was surprised at myself. It's, it's amazing what you can do when you have to. So, but, was it, but this. Was it better to be like housebound or constrained, you know, to write a book or is that not a good thing? No, that doesn't, that's not an issue for me because writing, I mean, I write 10 and 12 hours at a time. So when I start writing, I'm writing and I don't really care what else is going on Wow! because the, the only way that I can work, I've had to learn this in graduate school is to focus. So when I'm focused on something, that's what I'm doing. And the rest of it has to just be over there somewhere till I get done mm-hmm. or try to finish whatever I'm finishing. So I wrote the majority of, of this book between um, mid-April and May 15th. Wow. I had, I had written, I, I had, because I had misjudged and thought I've written so much stuff in terms of blogs and short commentaries. So I thought, well, let me just go back through all of those documents and see what might be there that I could pull together to become a collection of meditations. Well, what I discovered is that none of them were what I wanted to say. Hmm. So that so then I what I discovered was that I was not going to be pulling together my things and kind of editing and cleaning up and tweaking and all that. I was going to be writing new things that match the energy that I was bringing to the table now. Yes. And so that was a that was a good challenge because <laughs> then I had to set to the writing. And and so I wrote I wrote the majority of the book in that in that short window. Wow, that's amazing. What well, what changed? You know that you decided not to utilize what you had previously written. Well, you know how you you write things and you and when you wrote it, it would you there was great passion and energy around it, and then you go back and read it years later and. It's still good writing, and it, the point is a good one. 
but you don't have the same kind of huh. energetic connection to it. Huh. So I think if 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 I'm going to have a book come out that I've got to get out and promote, it needs to be material that I'm really energized by as well, or else I'm going to get mighty tired of talking about it. <laughs> and I'm and I and I actually wasn't willing to publish something that felt tired to me, mm -hmm. you know, because this, I mean, it wasn't like some of it was, it wasn't even like um, that there was a vast difference between if I talked about that now I would say a lot of those same things, but it was the, it was just the, even some of the issues that were preoccupying me in those other rest of uh, uh, essays were not the ones I wanted to bring up for huh. this book. So so there are 48 meditations in this book. And I think maybe two or three of them maybe have appeared as blocks somewhere, but the rest of it is all ma new material. So. Wow. Well, good for you for being able to pull off that yeah. much writing, that much new material. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, 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 and I will be careful how I expect myself to repeat myself in the future, <laughs> you know. So the book's description says that it offers much-needed meditative guide for the weary and the frustrated. Who would you say is the audience for this book? Well, the, the contributors on the back represent all of the major groups of people in this country that are in, in this struggle, African-American, Latinx, Asian, um, uh, indigenous and um, let uh, and white and and so everybody is on. There's a there's a blurb from somebody who represents every everybody. So then I think this book, the audience is everybody. It that's I mean not children but people that are concerned about their own their own health and wellness because you can't be well. My my premise is if you don't if you if you have a group of people that you're holding hostage in your head or holding yourself hostage really by trying to be controlling of them by denigrating them and making marginalizing them and making yourself superior, you can't be a well person doing that because you take you you siphoning off your own energy, trying to ma maintain something that can't even really be maintained. And so I, so I think that any uh, person who begins to think about oppression and the des and desire to be liberated, this would be a, a great help to them hmm. around race. And, and hmm. I, I mean, we're talking about race now. Race is the biggest, race is the biggest issue in front of our faces, even though gender and class and all of the ableism and all of that is all entangled in it, I think. But we we have used race to be the 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 biggest um uh what do we always say about elephant in the room uh -huh. that we are talking about. Uh -huh. And so I think that anybody who's waking up or trying to wake up or wondering wow this stuff is happening in the first place that they would find this book addresses uh addresses those things and it and it's not the you know the kinds of uh, meditations where there's a little piece of scripture and then a little commentary about 
the scripture, this is an issue-based set of meditations that with questions attached to in some of them to get people to be reflective. Oh. The idea is to be reflective and to and to be and, and to interrogate your own narratives. And so these these words are designed hopefully to help people in that process. Oh. That's very cool. So the foreword of the book is written by the one and only Michael Curry. <laughs> and he says yes. he says the book teaches us in the spirit of Howard Thurman, Tik Nak Han, and above all, Jesus of Nazareth. So mm-hmm. um that's quite a hall of fame there. Um how does it I feel, know. <laughs> how does it feel to be in that type of company? <laughs> he also included Rabbi Abraham Heschel, whom I happen to have such great regard for. Okay. Uh, it, it made me cry when I read those <laughs> words because they were so they were so beautiful and they were so it was such an honor to be to have my name put in a sentence with those folks. I study those people. They are guides for me, particularly Howard Thurman and and Dr. King, and and of course Jesus, and so. It was, you know, I just sat with, when I read his forward, I just sat with it for a good long time before I could even think about it much or move. I mean, it was so moving to me and I so appreciated him, first of all, taking the time to do it. And then secondly, to to say those things, because I know that he would not have said them if he didn't mean to say them. Mm-hmm. And that just, that was really... It's it's very humbling, and and it just it just makes me want my words to be meaningful to people even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to read a couple of endorsements for the book. Um, this was from yeah. our great friend Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh, she says uh, there is so much kindness in these pages that you may not notice at first how disruptive they are to your accustomed ways of thinking, being, and doing. So how is the book disruptive in that way? Well, I think that um, people come to meditations. I mean, it's something that's race, particularly white people, come with fear that they're somehow going to be beaten up and made to feel bad about themselves. So they come with their guard all up. And when they come to my work, they hear understanding uh, what is it Bishop Michael says, capacity for pastoral care and yet prophetic witness. They find those things coupled and that's different from what people are used to finding. People are used to people beating you up over the head with prophecy or being so pastoral till they don't really help you. Huh. You know, they make they they immobilize you with their efforts to make you feel okay, which which you didn't that wasn't what you needed, but that was what they had to give. So huh. so I think that that what it, at least this is what I hear from people who come in are in my classes and stuff that to to be accepted as a human being is you know, in a conversation on race, people worry that that won't happen. 
Mm-hmm. And so when they when somebody says, you know, a white person tells me of a wounding that they had, that they've blown it way out of proportion and made it into like a, you know, they lost their arm, but really it was just a finger tip of a fingernail, fingernail. And have me say, I I understand. I I I know how I have some sense about what that feels like, but you do have to keep perspective and then to tell them, you know, so to be, to be um, affirming, but then to say, but you, but you look at what you're doing. You, you, you have a broken fingernail and then here's these people whose hands have been chopped off and you want to have the same grief pattern here. You're entitled to your, thoughts and feelings, but you have to put that into conversation with this other truth over here. I think that's how the, that's how Mm. the subtlety Mm. happens that Mm. because you're busy being glad that you're being heard and then you get to hear, but go further with this. You're given, you're given this, this kind of energy you know, it was your fingernail. And this person sitting here telling you, I lost my hand or maybe my arm. And you can't hear them because you're pre- preoccupied with your fingernail got broken. <laughs> and so while I can while I can acknowledge how that might be for you, I want you to look look at these together and see uh-huh. what you think. Uh-huh. You know, and it's a completely different thing from just jumping down somebody's throat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or saying, "How dare you? How self-centered!" As soon as you start on that track, they've already left the room. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so you can talk all you want; it makes no difference. Uh-huh. But when the person has can say, "Well, somebody is affirming here to me; they're, they're listening to you." Uh-huh. And now you get to say, but look, I'm affirming, but did you did you think about what you were just saying? Huh. You know, did how about the person over there that was saying this other huh. thing? And they get to go home and think about it. <laughs> you know, instead of having left the room before I had a chance, before they even heard what I was trying to say. Huh. And I hope I try to practice. I mean, I, it's not like I set out. I, nobody told me to to go teach this way. And this is my looking at results that makes me understand what the dynamic is. I just have tried to stand up and be this compassionate person. I think it's compassionate uh, listening, like you were saying earlier about listening, and then kind of reframing and putting things back out. That so they become prophetic witness is really a gift, and uh-huh. I think you know, and it's a gift that has been given to me. But I didn't; it wasn't like a skill that I went somewhere to learn. Uh-huh. And I'm just looking at it. I'm looking at it after the fact and being able to name it. I had no idea about it for for a long, long while. Uh-huh. Well, I mean it seems like a compelling approach and um, you know, kudos Mm -hmm. to you for discovering it. So here's another um, endorsement from our good friend, Kelly Brown Douglas. She says um, 
She calls us to discover the sound of the genuine that dwells within us. Mm-hmm. What would you mm-hmm. say is the sound of the genuine? Mm-hmm. Well, it's first of all, I've cut, the, the words themselves come from Howard Thurman, as Howard Thurman talks about the necessity for every human being to get clear about who they are. You know, what, what, who, who are you really when nobody's in the room but you? Who are you when you're by yourself? Who are you? What is at the core of yourself? What makes you the person that you are? And Thurman says that that process to, do, to, to becoming that kind of aware is, is, is searching for the genuineness in your own self. And once you, as you discover what's real, you know, the genuine, what is real, what is, what, what is not uh, somebody's projection or somebody else's story or whatever, once you discover that, that you travel on the earth look, and, and you hear it when you meet it in other people. And so, so um, uh, Reverend Kelly is talking about the ways in which this book and my work helps people to facilitate that process of being on that search or even knowing that that's a search to be on because there are a whole lot of searches. I think that people maybe aren't on them because they just don't know that they could be, Uh you know, uh so, but that, but that, that whole uh, march across the, your life, trying to be an authentic person who uh, tells the best truth you can tell and who isn't moved by, as Thurman says, by every wind that comes along. You know, that that, that is the person who's grounded in the sound of the genuine, the sound of their own voice, not the voices of other people. Not that he, he talked about you not even needing much affirmation because you're so clear about where you stand. I mean, that, that takes a long time to get there. But that was, uh, he understood that. Mm. So what would you say would be like the one thing you would want readers to take away from the book? I think um, to be more hopeful. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that right now in our country, we are, we have a huge deficit of courage and we have a huge deficit of hope. We have we look at the suicide rates and how they are escalating, and we need to try to think about that some and not just blow it off. I think it has something to do with people's lack of hope. I mean, you don't kill yourself if you've got a reason to hope, but if you don't, you know, any young people too, teenagers. I mean, that's that's really worrisome. So I would like to contribute to the. To the to the hope quotient uh-huh. right now, you know, across across the 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 country, across the world, really, but we're in the country. So to contribute to the to, I hope my book will contribute and help people to feel more hopeful, partially because maybe they can see some truth about themselves that liberates them. And gives them energy to be hopeful, and and then maybe because they can see processes that they can share from reading this book, and I just hope the book, in a general way, 
will create uh, space where people can be more hopeful. Mm. Wonderful. So um, I have to ask you if there are any plans for future books that you're able to talk about yet. Well, I don't think, not actually. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, um, I'm really just trying to, again, stay focused. So I don't, and I want folks to stay focused on this book for right now. So I know I will write a good bit more. I've got a lot of ideas and I'm thinking someday I might even like to write a play. Wow. But I, I want to, I just, but I don't want to get, um, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I hear you on that. I'm operating the same way right now. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, the title of the new book is The Night is Long, But Light Comes in the Morning, Meditations for Racial Healing. And you can learn more about that and all of Catherine's work at centerforracialhealing.org. So, Catherine, again, thank you so much for being with us. I just really appreciate all your mm. contributions to the world in many different dimensions. So um, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to more conversations. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Bye.